It has been estimated that 42% to 60% of people who have emotional problems turn first to clergy for help. Do clergy and therapy mix? You are listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Larry Caskell. Joining me today is Elena Vassallo, a licensed clinical professional counselor and member of the staff of the Center for Religion and Psychotherapy since 1991. Elena received her Master of Divinity degree from the Divinity School of the University of Chicago, where she served as Associate Dean for 10 years. Elena is a Fellow in the American Association of Pastoral Counselors and an ordained minister. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Larry. It's good to be here. Can you tell my audience, who is a group of physicians, uh, what exactly is pastoral counseling or pastoral psychotherapy? Well, people in the field would, first of all, want to distinguish between them, and I think the best way to illuminate the distinction would be the difference between counseling and psychotherapy. Counseling is typically thought of as a more supportive enterprise, perhaps even more short-term, and therapy, more long-term, more insight-oriented, and more directed at understanding someone's unconscious motivations. In either of those cases, the pastoral dimension would mean that conversation about religious or spiritual struggles can be included in the work. Sometimes it means that the prescriptions or direction from the therapist or counselor takes on a religious or spiritual dimension. But more often it relates to the fact that a person seeking counseling is free to talk about their religious life with someone who understands. Well, let's say they approach their pastor, and uh, the pastor doesn't really have the training necessary. Does the pastor know to hand off this patient to, let's say, your center? More and more they do. I think uh, maybe five, ten years ago, more pastors were doing long-term counseling with parishioners and feeling comfortable with it. Not all, but some certainly. And there was a set of legal battles that ensued, a couple of claims against clergy, and the churches now have really come down very hard on their clergy in the arena of counseling, probably too hard, where clergy now are advised by their denominations not to close their doors when they meet with a parishioner. Mm-hmm and not to talk to them more than three to five sessions about anything. So I think the distinction, the line has gotten a little clearer for not very good reasons in recent years. Most clergy, I think, more and more do know when they're over their head and are very happy to pass people along that they think they can't help. You mentioned that they know when they're over their head. You know, if if they're a religious leader, uh, they may believe that prayer is sufficient and that uh, perhaps the person is not praying hard enough and uh, they may not recognize that this person uh, needs further help uh, or medication. Yes, exactly. I think you're going to find that in the more conservative denominations and forms of Christianity where they don't necessarily even prescribe to the idea that psychological insight is helpful and they may not even believe in the practice of psychotherapy. All solutions really are spiritual. Pray harder, and I'll pray harder with you. But that, I think, you're going to find only in that small sector 
of the Christian churches, most of the mainline Protestant churches are very friendly toward the psychological enterprise. And in Catholicism, in fact, there's a really a long history of engagement with the psychological disciplines in the orders, the, the uh, religious orders, sisters and, and brothers who you see leading retreats, etc. for, you know, decades they've been involved in that kind of thing. So I don't, I don't think there's too much of that in the mainstream denominations. I guess uh, it's a very foreign field to me because I am a Jewish doctor, and uh, Jewish doctors are neurotic and uh, would not think to go to their rabbi first. They would just go to a psychiatrist. Yes. Well, and uh, the place where I practice has only in the last 10 years become an interfaith organization where we also have Jewish practitioners, uh, mainly because the center was started by a bunch of Protestant clergy, which is really the... Um, the church in which the American Association of Pastoral Counselors grew up, it was a Protestant endeavor to begin with. But, yeah, the psychoanalytic field and the field of uh, psychotherapy is also very um, closely related with the Jewish religions. But it would be interesting to talk to a lot of psychoanalysts about whether they're comfortable talking about religion. I don't think right, you find a lot that are. Most of them are atheists. Yes. Um although they don't have the proof to be an atheist. Um, and, uh, yeah, they, they, it's very difficult, I think, to be a, a religious psychoanalyst. They seem to be their own religions. That psychoanalysis takes on its own set of beliefs, as does a, a particular religion. I think it can be a very religious worldview, yes, where the unconscious, the notion of the unconscious is kind of um, is God. Elena, when, when someone comes to you and says... Elena, my life's a mess, and uh, I, I, you know, my marriage is falling apart. My job is crumbling. Uh, my relationships are falling apart. I don't know what to do, and I just don't see how talking about it's going to help me. What, what do you, what do you do with that person? Well, if they approach the endeavor with that mindset, the first thing I would do is get them to commit to come a certain number of times, because I think it takes a little while for an individual to recognize what's helpful about talking. And it's not typically a good idea for the counselor to be in the position of wanting to convince them. Mm -hmm. That never works. That's a little bit like having an idea that you want to impress upon your child. And as soon as they're sure it's your idea, it's a bad idea. Right. But I think it becomes quickly clear with talking, um, so they don't have to promise that many sessions, that sorting out your thinking in relationship to someone who you don't know, odd though that sounds, has no agenda, uh, no self-interest, and can provide a neutral and listening ear, it becomes clear pretty quickly what's helpful about that. Before you even get into anything like the counselor providing directions, suggestions, or guidance, that'd be my first uh, piece of advice that most of the time people need to think through something in neutral and supportive territory. And after that, just because of what I practice, which is insight-oriented and depth psychotherapy, the notion is that we are all directed by many unconscious motivations and by our history, and that it's helpful to understand that. I'd like to talk a little bit about money. Is there a fee for this? Or oh, is- yeah. 
I, I was thinking if you just go talk to your pastor, there's no charge for that. But if you go to your center, it's not covered by the church. It's you charge patients. Well, I think that's one of the reasons that pastors are limited in what I can do and what they can do. I don't know how many pastors you know, but these are people who work, you know, 60, 70 hour weeks and really don't have time to sit with people in an indefinite basis, just not sort of responsible to the rest of the church. You, you, you put in mind someone, though, who recently came to me and presented themselves not in a way too different from what you just, just stated and, and just basically announced, this is just the pathetic, that I have to sit here and pay you to listen to me. What a, you know, this was for her a true indication of how pathetic and broken down her life was. And, you know, while I understand the sentiment, I'm often very anxious to point out to people that the people who are closest to us and the most involved in our struggle are really not the best people to sit and listen to us all the time. I mean, certainly they need to know what's going on. But the kind of empathy that a counselor provides that I think is really truly transformative in a lot of ways is only possible because they're not involved in your life and because they're trained to do so. So with me as a physician, if I have someone coming to me and I think they need some sort of therapy, how would I decide if they would be a good candidate for going to a religious center versus just a regular psychotherapist? A couple different things. One is they talk about religion. They tell you they're a spiritual person, and your sense is that if they were to work with a completely secular therapist, there'd be a lot of things they couldn't talk about. We get this all the time. I handle the new intake callers at our center, and two, three, four, five times a week, people call and say, I have a therapist. I even like my therapist. We just can't talk about this, and this is a problem for me. So either that or someone for whom religion isn't really going to necessarily be involved in the content of the conversation, but because they're devout in some way, they wouldn't think of going to a secular therapist. They just would need to know that, that there was some religious credential. What kind of training and what, what is the normal education of a pastoral counselor or, or therapist? Well, the pastoral counselors and therapists have to pursue both disciplines, the theological and the religious disciplines, and the psychological disciplines as well. Recently, in the state of Illinois, there was a piece of legislation that came through that stated that, I guess it wasn't that recent, 12 years ago, anybody calling themselves a counselor of any kind needed to have a state license, really kind of a cleanup effort in terms of what all was going on out there. And when they sat down to look at the training of the different arms of the different branches of the counseling enterprise, pastoral counselors rose right to the top in terms of the amount of training that they had, and they were immediately qualified to sit for state licensing exams with no additional coursework, whatever, which was not the case for many different kinds of counselors out there. I think that relates to the fact that you need to have two credentials. You need to pursue both both arms of the discipline in order to call yourself a pastoral counselor. Those are often done sequentially. You have a lot of ministers who decide they want to be therapists and do their psychological training afterwards. Sometimes it's the other way around. There's even a few programs that will do it for you kind of all at once, but those are rare. I'm thinking if I was to go to one of these programs that I would have an internal struggle um, 
that might present itself during my training that uh, let's say I have an existential crisis and I and I my belief is questioned it seems like it's uh, you guys are living in two worlds I understand but I wouldn't necessarily see it that way I think it's more the case that for a lot of people that work in this uh, field, those two things have always belonged together and can't be separated. Not so much that there's two things that are difficult to integrate or in conflict. So I think, I don't know that they're, for a lot of people in the field, quite as discreet as you make it sound there. Although, you know, I would appreciate that for some people they are quite separate and quite in conflict. Well, on that note, um, we're, we're out of time, and I'd like to thank our guest, Elena Vassallo. I'm Dr. Larry Caskell, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, send your email to xm at reachmd.com, and thank you for listening. <laughs>